1: I'm Julia Borston and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Today, growth stocks rebounding as investors weigh this relatively strong jobs number. Got the S&P working on five straight gains. We'll talk about how it's impacting expectations for rates and tech this hour. And then a closer look at FANG specifically on this strong week. Have we seen a bottom for names like Apple and Alphabet? And how will we know... Finally, call it déjà vu, the latest on the meme trade and why Musk's deal for Twitter is, quote, in imperildy.
3: Deja vu all over again. We're going to kick off today's feed with that growth rally. Investors weighing the likelihood of more rate hikes ahead, given today's better than expected jobs number. Tech stocks, they did take a leg lower at the open. Uh, we are seeing them move higher just over the last hour. Kathy Wood's Arc Innovation Fund, take a look. Now up 2%. Dom Chu joins us with more on the action. Dom, walk us through this. That hotter than expected number, wasn't supposed to be a good thing because it means more rate hikes.
4: So the initial thought was that exactly, because we saw 10-year yields move up to that 307, 309 range. We're we're, we're currently hovering just around there right now this idea if you have a hotter jobs number, inflation is still part of the story. Interest rates go higher. That means valuations should theoretically be lower. We did see that in the beginning, but to your point, in just the last hour or so, we've seen a bid come to the markets, especially in some of those tech stocks. Now, if you take a look at this through the lens of ETFs, we'll look at the QQQ, that particular ETF that we just showed you. It was going to show you that we were just around near the 50-day average price that we had for that particular ETF. So if we're kind of bumping up against there now, some of the stocks that matter the most to the marketplace are actually now trading above their respective 50-day average prices, On a rolling basis, that kind of nearer term trend line that we've seen could be a good sign, maybe in the future if these things do hold up. But Apple and Alphabet are both solidly, at least in this particular area here, trading above this latest move higher, their 50-day average prices. So keep an eye on those two. As for Microsoft, Amazon and Tesla, they are with this latest leg higher today, now trading above their respective 50-day average prices, albeit not by as much as Apple and Alphabet are. So keep an eye on Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Tesla, Apple. Those mega cap stocks are trying to make a move above some technical levels here. As for the stocks in the Nasdaq 100 that have done some of the biggest upside moves over the course of the last couple of months here, we looked at all the index members that have hit their 52-week lows or worse in just since the beginning of June, and these stocks are among those tech related ones that have kind of come up the best. Datadog, DocuSign and Micron, each of those stocks in this kind of leg higher that we've seen is up anywhere from 14 to 30 percent above their respective lows. So as we talk about this idea of interest rates going higher, crushing valuations, there are some stocks out there, Carl, George John, that are seeing some at least buying pickup despite the fact that interest rates are going higher, guys. Uh, Dom, great setup. I'm glad
2: you mentioned Micron, too, because our next guest does see some big opportunities in auto and EV chip suppliers, also bullish on some certain enterprise software names. Joining us this morning, Goldman Sachs Asset Management Portfolio Manager, Brooke Daines. Brooke, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for the time today.
5: Oh, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. I got to get you guys uh, showing G-Tech as the the ticker on the front scroller there instead of uh, some of our competition from the ETF side. But (laughs) it's great to be here this morning. Thanks for the time. Well, well, I'll tell the booth.
2: Uh, I'm (laughs) curious. um,
5: Talk to me about
2: autos and EV chips, because to some degree, the street is still reeling from uh, the Micron and GM
5: guidance. Yeah, sure. I, you know, when we look at the outlook for semis broadly, you know, full disclosure, we do think there's weakness out there in certain pot parts of the market. So, PCs and some handset-related stuff, you are seeing um, some weakness in those areas. We actually think the EV build and what's happening on the auto side is uh, very supportive to some of the vendors, especially those names that are taking share out there. So, you know, from our fundamental view, what we're really trying to do is understand which companies we think have opportunities to grow their business to drive margins higher and. And we think there's a couple names out there in the semi space that are specifically levered to that that can do really well over the next year. So a right. name I'd uh, you point did. you to is On Semiconductor, where, you know, we think this one um, is really set up nicely for the next while. Um, it's got a new management team. It's focused on moving out of the commodity parts of its business and moving into higher value, higher gross margin pieces of the business. And and we think the market's not reflecting that yet. So we really right. like that name. Right now. Uh, you mentioned
2: KLA as well. Does that mean that if we get more headlines about trimming capex here and there that Semicap holds in?
5: You know, we do think that the outlook for Semicap is incredibly positive. Um, You know, the the risk on the outlook for the wider uh, WFE spending probably has to do with what's happening at Intel relative to the wider subset of the market. You know, TSMC is going to continue to spend robustly, we think, across the next cycle. But KLA specifically, you know, it has this great opportunity to take share, uh, and they you know, you see that in their design wins going forward. And then, secondly, the company just announced uh, a week or so ago at their analyst day that they were going to buy back about 15% of their outstanding, again showing real confidence in the underlying business fundamentals. There, so it's another name that we like. That's a big holding across our portfolios.
6: Brooke, how comfortable are you with the demand environment, and uh, as we head deeper into the second half, how that might affect? Uh, particularly enterprise software, um, given that you know s- some of the consumer concerns and then the overall business spending concerns uh, might trickle through.
5: Yeah, so you know one of the areas that we think is going to be relatively relatively resilient is enterprise software spending, and specifically uh, in some of the the names that are helping companies either uh, engage in digital transformation or are levered to cybersecurity. So, you know, names that we like there, we think that numbers um, are appropriate. We think there's upside. And then, you know, most importantly for how we look at the market and how we invest, we think there's company specific things that are driving, you know, either estimates higher or margins higher across the board. So, um, you know, we do think that this is a window where active management, we're picking the individual names that are gonna work, is gonna matter massively, but mm-hmm. we have some names that we really like out there right now.
3: So, Brooke, give us some of those names when you're looking at enterprise software spending. Are companies going to the big suites, the big players like Microsoft that are using this time to capture more of that spend or some of the best of breed that are now looking at cost controlling measures?
5: Yeah. So, you know, I I have observed in my history of investing in tech that as you move through harder economic times, there is some consolidation that happens from a vendor perspective. So in general, if you have a larger installed base with product to upsell and cross sell into that base, we think you're gonna do better as you move through this uh, transition. So, you know, we really like Microsoft here. We also really like Salesforce. Um, You know, the the controversy on Salesforce has to do with people worried about their margin guidance and their margin goals. We have a high degree of confidence that this management team is gonna execute against that. So, you know, we like both those names. um, as we sit here today. Then we also like some names in cybersecurity. Uh, and then Atlassian is another name that we, we feel very good about as we sit here today.
2: So speaking of all of that, Brooke, I wonder, you know, as we dip into earnings season beginning next week and work our way through guidance, is the overwhelming dynamic on the back end going to have been about Forex uh, or margin compression or, as you say, yeah. the bundling? You know, what, what, what do you think will be the overriding theme?
5: So first of all, I think you know the things to watch for as we move through earnings right now are the FX impacts clearly are going to matter across the board. And you know, you've seen the dollar strengthened materially across this quarter. I think the market is beginning to reflect some of that in forward estimates. The bigger issue is going to be, though, how companies guide to the back half of this year and how investors interpret that for 23 and the outlook for top lines in 23. You know, I do think that you know the economy is likely to be slow, and this is where you really want to differentiate and find the names that you think can you know drive growth higher than the market. We think there's you know, with the valuation compression we've seen, there's incredible opportunity in some of these companies that are growing fast but have great valuation support. You know, some of these software names that are that are growing in the 20% range but have free cash flows, um, you know, that are accelerating and driving businesses create great opportunities.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Viewers may be ready to take a shot, but carefully uh, look forward to to your guidance in the future as well. Brooke, thanks so
5: much. Have a good weekend. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy the rest of the day. Bye-bye. New
6: developments, meanwhile, in the Elon Musk Twitter saga. The Washington Post reporting Musk deal to buy the social media companies in serious jeopardy, according to multiple sources. Musk uh, camp claiming Twitter's figures on spam accounts are not verifiable. Now for context, it's been just a little under two months since Musk tweeted that the deal was quote on hold, but he does have a signed legal agreement with Twitter to buy the company and it's not contingent on any bot math. Some are calling this move an attempt to bring down the price that he'll have to pay for Twitter, negotiate in public. Twitter shares have fallen almost 20% since Musk announced his plans to buy the company and the market uh, of course has uh, fallen apart quite a bit since then too, so it's not just Twitter. Investors not confident this deal gets done. Uh, $54.20 a share was supposed to be the price originally. It's at about $37.24 right now. With all of that, Julia Borston back with us from Sun Valley where Musk is supposed to speak tomorrow. This is like a bad joke. Uh, it's like when the dog is chasing the car. What happens if it catches it?
1: well musk is here he arrived last night he snuck past the cameras we didn't get any video of him but we did see twitter ceo prague agarwal he's here along with twitter cfo ned siegel they didn't want to talk to us on camera but of course the big question here is what is their conversation going to be with elon musk with this big question about whether musk is trying to maybe negotiate a lower price which of course the the Twitter board does not want to let him do. They want to hold him to that 5420 price tag and make him buy this company as promised, even though the stock has declined so dramatically.
3: Yeah. You know, Julie, I'm sure the board would like him to pay that price that he first offered. But what choice do they have here? I mean, this threatens to just drag on and on and on through the courts, but. Does the board at some point maybe reconsider, go back and negotiate a new deal? Because has it become evident through all of this that the most valuable part of the company, of Twitter, is actually the prospect of Musk buying it?
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, it's been really interesting, Deirdre, talking to executives here. A number of people here are bullish on the opportunity that Musk sees, saying that he is such a such a unique innovator. Maybe he'll bring to Twitter what it needs to reach a broader audience. But Remember, Dee, that you know there is this October deadline for the deal. There was a $1 billion breakup fee, but Musk's agreed not to do certain types of due diligence. So in, in, in agreeing to those terms, he's exposing himself to a massive lawsuit. Yes, the board wants to hold him to it because that's the deal they made, and he would have to have a pretty good excuse in order to be able to even agree, to be able to get that one billion dollar breakup fee. So I think that's why the board um, is, you know, reiterating that statement from a couple months ago. They made a deal; they're going to stick with it. And I think that's also why the company is getting out there and saying these are our numbers on spam bots, um, and, and this is exactly what we're seeing, and we're being transparent both with. The press and also with Musk about that. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of months. October is that deadline, um, and in the meantime, it must be you know a real cloud over the opportunity to keep innovating. Obviously. Twitter is trying to go forward with business as usual, but we did report that they, um, they laid off about 30% of their recruiting staff, which makes sense. If you're not going to be doing a lot of hiring, um, as many in Silicon Valley are not doing, right? If you're not going to be doing a lot of hiring, doesn't make sense to have quite as many people working on recruiting.
6: Julia, I got to hand it to Twitter's board and throughout this whole thing, though, because they have played their poker hand masterfully. He's like, 54.20 a share, final offer, you know, and they're like, eh... Okay, and he's like, "Well, actually, <laughs> I'd like to pay less." And they're like, "No, 54.20 a share. Actually sounds great. Show me, give me the fire hose. Show me all the data." They're like, "Eh." He's like, "Give it to me." And they give it to him. And he's like, "Uh, okay. Well, I still think there's a bot problem." Well, he knew there was a bot problem to begin with. it's what he promised to fix. He's being completely ridiculous.
1: <laughs> well, look, I think there's a question of how big is the bot problem, right? Cuz Twitter, the company says it's less than five percent, Musk says it's more like twenty percent. That's a really big difference, and I think that's what they're trying to (laughs) sort out right now. I mean, the the company
6: he's got one of the biggest accounts. If anybody knows that there's spam on Twitter, it's Elon Musk. It's just it's just silly (laughs) that he like suddenly discovered (laughs) a bot problem after promising 5420 and the stock and the markets are down.
1: Yeah, John, a number of people here have noted that Delaware courts could be really hard on Musk, could really, really enforce this deal. And that's really what it comes down to. Musk trying to figure out if he indeed is trying to either get out of the deal or or pay a lower price, him trying to figure out just how harsh the courts would be on him, considering um, how unilaterally he agreed to those terms.
6: All right, Julia, uh, great to get that color from Sun Valley on the colorful character Elon Musk. Coming up, a big week for meme stocks. The GameStop putting a stop to that, firing its CFO. Big hour of tech checks. Go ahead. Don't go away.
7: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast. Generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI.
8: Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction.
7: Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block.
8: Ask your boss if Canva Magic is right for you at Canva.com. Designed for work. Canva.
3: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones. Got to check on meme stocks, names like AMC, Revlon, and GameStop. They were up big on the week as life comes back into some of the momentum parts of the market. But GameStop, today it's erasing some of those gains. The company firing its CFO, Chairman Ryan Cohen, reportedly pushing him out for being too Hands off. Remember, this is the CFO that Cohen hired from Amazon just a year ago as part of that turnaround plan. So now we're turning around the turnaround. The company also laying off employees across several other departments, saying that they're cutting costs to get to profitability after making more than 600 corporate hires over the last year and a half. John, I'll I'll quote you from the beginning of the show. It's ridiculous.
6: (laughs) We could just keep playing that over and over, I guess, or keep saying it. Turning now to FinTech. Many of those stocks getting squeezed on both ends, though some of them are up as this morning's jobs number has a lot of people expecting more rate hikes ahead on top of a potentially weakening consumer. One name in the space that is getting hurt is Upstart. You can see it there uh, down. Oh, my goodness. uh, How much is that? 20 percent announcing plans to deliver worse than expected Q2 results after already cutting estimates in May. Joining us now to talk. Outlook for the space, former executive chairman of Square and current chairman of the Economic Advisory Council at the San Francisco Fed, Jackie Reeses. Jackie, great to have you. So I have trouble conceptualizing even what fintech is at this point, because there are things that commonly get talked about. Then there's a lot that's happening even in the B2B space. What do you think is the most important technology offering right now um, that is technology changing finance?
9: Fintech is the future of finance. It's the digitization of that uh, components of the financial system, both infrastructure and front end applications that touch consumer. Uh, But the lines between what traditional uh, banking is and what fintech is have absolutely blurred now that core money movement has become far more digital than it ever was 10 years ago. I mean, we think about mobile payments. They happen every day, every second and they're an ordinary course part of your day-to-day transaction. And so the blurring of what finance is and what fintech is um, really makes it hard to define that uh, separate from core banking.
6: Right. And, but there are realities setting in. We're looking at one of them right now in the Upstarts chart. You look at Robinhood over the past year. Uh, it, it's the future, but how far out is that future? And what stages is it going to move in? As we look at today's jobs report, uh, that continuing to run strong and expectations that interest rates are going higher. Uh, how does that impact the the fintech space and the value of it?
9: Yeah, you know, there's an interesting uh, difference in the market, though, that I would point out. And there's a bifurcation between infrastructure and front end features. Back end infrastructure stocks over the last year have really performed much better than those of the high flyers of the front end of the tech market. So I'm talking about companies like networks acquiring core money movement and software. They fared much better than more product led companies. And so the market is distinguishing between networks and scale and those of some of these single product type companies, which have really fallen 70, 90 percent since last November, when we really started to see the tip of the spear changes in inflation numbers.
2: Jackie, I wonder, do you think uh, if we truly are working our way into a difficult uh, macro world for the next couple of years, that legacy financials interest in investing in cutting edge fintech gets tempered at all just because they've got so much on their plate already?
9: I don't think so. If anything, I think what fintech has done for the financial system, because if you step back, financial systems are in the biggest industries in the United States. But unfortunately, most of the market cap of public finance stocks are over 50 years old. And so you've got a lot of legacy infrastructure that needs to be replaced. And what fintech has done in the last 10 to 15 years is illustrate how you could take technology, apply it to infrastructure, and add really interesting features that consumers and businesses love. And one example of that is real-time payments, upfront credit. And so those are the types of things that have really innovated and made mobility and made speed core components of the system, which didn't exist. And so Mm -hmm. if you're a legacy financial services company, now is a great time to look at some of what's been built over the last 10 years and try to find value in those companies and look at potential M&A opportunities where these companies have built incredible products that have really changed the way finance has touched consumers and businesses in their homes and in in their business.
3: Hey, Jackie, good morning. It's Deirdre. It's great to see you. Um, I want to believe that the system is getting more efficient, better, but I wonder if there's kind of a hard lesson we've learned over the last few months with crypto and DeFi or decentralized finance. They all promised a better, more efficient way of doing things, but it turns out that they can actually be the same or worse. Even take something like buy now, pay later. There was so much excitement, supposed to be better than credit cards, but people are still ending up in debt. So I wonder, are these new systems even ACH, are they going to be as secure or the promise is sort of still in the distance for a lot of them? Well,
9: um, I think a lot of these features um, have really changed the way consumers interact with finance. And so I think of buy now, pay later as a great example where it's another tender type. It's another way to add flexibility for consumers to pay. And so you have cash, you have things like Apple Pay and uh, Google Pay, which are digital payment types, you have credit, you have debit, and now you have final pay later. It just right. adds to a set of options that consumers can touch. Yeah, Where you
6: finally, that sits, yeah. Finally, I want to ask you about uh, crypto, uh, which has been through uh, quite a time over the past several months, but not so much about the coin prices, about the the ecosystem itself. Uh, how much scrutiny does the ecosystem need? and even uh, stablecoins, the collapse of which kind of set off some of the issues that we've seen over the past several months. How concerned are you about that? What are your questions?
9: Yeah, you know, I, I think what you've seen collapse is algorithmic stablecoins. And with that, the question I have around that entire market of algorithmic stablecoins is what do they actually pegged to? That's first point. Second point is where's the regulation that manages it? And the crypto industry has been crying for regulation to create clarity around the jurisdiction that regulates them, and then a whole bunch of rules that help manage uh, the stability of the system. They have been screaming for that to the regulators because it will provide consumer stability and um, trust in the system that is sorely missing today. And I think the crisis you're seeing around algorithmic stablecoins is a perfect example of that. Because there is no regulated system that helps manage both the onboarding of money into that system, as well as the disposition and liquidation of some of these companies when they're facing liquidity crises in the market, like you've seen in the last month. And so, you know, I think what you're seeing is a shaking out in the crypto market. And hopefully in the not too distant future, you'll see more regulatory uh, guidance provided by multiple jurisdictions
6: of the U.S. government. Yep. Many people hoping for that. Jackie, thanks. Jackie Reeses. Speaking
2: of crypto, is it a risk to financial markets? We got some comments from Brainerd about that very subject today. And don't miss the CTO of Tether, the world's largest stable coin, talking risk, regulation, and balance sheet in just a moment. Stay with us.
7: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI.
8: Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction.
7: Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block.
8: Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
10: Welcome back. I'm Christina Partsenevelis with your CNBC News Update. The U.S. economy added 372,000 non-farm jobs last month, more than economists had been anticipating. The unemployment rate remained at 3.6 percent. Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic, appearing earlier on Squawk Box, said the report shows the economy is still strong, but he's also saying it's starting to cool down enough to put the brakes on inflation.
11: We're starting to inch in the right direction, but there's still a lot more to do and a lot more we're going to have to see if if we're going to get our our inflation numbers much closer to the 2% target that we have as our goal.
10: Spirit Airlines has once again postponed a special shareholder meeting to vote on its planned merger with the parent of Frontier Airlines. It's now scheduled for a week from today. In the meantime, Spirit continues to talk with both Frontier and rival suitor JetBlue. Shares of Levi Strauss are higher in today's trading. The apparel maker reported better-than-expected profit in sales for its latest quarter, helped by strong demand for its denim products as well as higher prices. The company also raised its quarterly dividend by 20%. Carl, back over to you.
2: Christina, thanks. Uh, Looming rate hikes from the Fed following this morning's uh, strong jobs numbers sent tech lower. But that said, this week is showing some strong gains for mega cap names and hope for some who are searching for a bottom. Steve Kovac joins us with a breakdown on just what kind of week it's been, Steve.
12: Yeah. Hey there, Carl. Let's hit those names first and uh, talk about how they're performing so far this week. You got Alphabet up about 8 percent. Amazon up about 4 percent. Apple almost 5 percent. Netflix almost 2 percent. By the way, those are, those are performing better than they have since late June. And then we have Meta up more than 5%, for, uh, and it's on pace for its best week since April 29th. Now, as the, that sell-off continued through the spring, people were looking at these names, hitting their bottom as a signal that the rest of the market has bottomed as well. So now the question is, are we there? But we're getting so many mixed signals for all these names. Uh, analysts cutting price targets this week for Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet. By the way, some negative headlines for a lot of these names, the EU passing the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Service Act, both of which will impact profits from companies like Apple, Meta, and Alphabet and Amazon. And that those laws are expected to go into effect next spring. And it's especially going to hurt the app stores from Google and Apple. And meanwhile, there's uh, some optimism, though, about smartphone and PC demand after we got Samsung earnings earlier this week. And Morgan Stanley analysts are also pretty optimistic about China, noting all Apple stores in the country are now open after those COVID lockdowns, and those openings will also benefit names like Dell and HP as China comes out of the COVID restrictions. Meanwhile, Kramer was saying on Mad Money that IT spending is strong for the tech companies. So even if we see weakening demand in the consumer, it might still be strong there in the enterprise. John, I'll send it back to you. Yeah,
6: we'll see. We'll see <laughs> what the guidance looks like in this next cycle particularly. Meanwhile, dueling calls, thanks Steve, on Wall Street this morning over Microsoft. Speaking of, Deutsche Bank calling it the best software name in the coverage universe saying Microsoft is strongest in value creation, capture, and sustainable returns. On the other side of the argument is Piper Sandler cutting estimates saying a strong dollar is going to hit the company's growth and spending, all tied to high inflation and recession fears. Of course, 95% of analysts have the name at a buy, no sells at all. Across Wall Street, Dee, um, (laughs) that that in a way, in and of itself, is concerning. But we're still early in a summer that so many strategists have said is going to be choppy.
3: Yeah, you know, it's been a while, guys, since we talked about antitrust risk, and we rarely talk about it when it comes to Microsoft, anyways. But. David Sachs kind of brought up this idea when we talked to him yesterday. And we, I know that all of us have been pulling on this thread of bundling and what happens when some of the smaller players have to cut costs. Microsoft can go in and get more of the market. I wonder if that becomes more of an issue in the weeks and months ahead, as maybe you see some of the snowflakes, the Octas, the Zooms, the docu-signs struggle, Carl.
2: Uh, there's that. Uh, and then, of course, there's the ongoing question about, I uh, just mentioned reg risk, MA, What happens to Activision? Uh, are some of these regulatory uh, probes, especially in the UK, just this week? John, is that the beginning of something bigger? And what, where would they turn if, in fact, that they if they hit a dead end on
6: that front? Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting in that um, the the legal risk, the regulatory risk, doesn't really seem to have hit big tech as much as much as we talk about it. It's Mm -hmm. almost a non-issue. The the stock that I can think of that's probably been affected the most by all that in recent years is Zoom not being able to buy Five Nine. How different (laughs) would that story be if they had been able to pick up that company? To me, that was a close call with huge consequences and not a big company.
3: Huge consequences that are really coming to light now, right, John? I mean, uh, it could have transformed itself into what many are looking for. This unified communications platform made this shift. Um, But here we are. Anyways, guys, we're going to get a check on Bitcoin. It's headed for its best week since October. Don't miss the check on the crypto ecosystem. We're going to have the CTO of Tether, the company behind the biggest stablecoin in the world. That is up next as Bitcoin nears 22K.
2: Got some strong words on crypto coming from Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainard this morning. Steve Leisman's got more on that. Steve?
0: Hey, good morning. Yeah, Fed Governor Lael Brannard saying the recent turmoil in the crypto space shows the need for strong regulation, noting that contrary to how some of those instruments were promoted, they behave just like conventional speculative assets. He said the crypto financial system turns out to be susceptible to the same risks that are all too familiar from traditional finance, such as leverage, settlement, opacity and maturity and liquidity transformation. Brainerd didn't couch her words in citing risks that are common to new financial products like crypto. She said they include runs, fire sales, deleveraging, and contagion, along with fraud, manipulation, and evasion. Brainerd said a main concern is protecting retail investors, along with guarding against spillovers of crypto into the regulated financial system. And she singled out stablecoins an area needing special focus from officials. So far, Brainerd said she had not seen the turmoil in the market spill over into the broader financial system, but said the Fed was watching all of that very carefully. Her remarks differ somewhat from those of Fed Governor Chris Waller, who yesterday suggested the crypto market take care of itself, rewarding those companies and products that were transparent and punishing those with poor collateral and opaque financials. Deirdre?
3: Steve, thank you very much for that, Steve Leisman. And as you heard from him, lawmakers and consumers alike, they are worried about the state of the $160 billion stablecoin ecosystem following the collapse of Terra earlier this spring. Tether has been able to hang on despite hedge fund shorts, questions around its reserve holdings, and growing competition from the likes of Circle's USD Coin. Joining us now, Tether Chief Technology Officer, Paolo Ardiono. Paolo, it's great to have you back. The last time we spoke was nearly a year ago. That was a wide ranging live stream that did get some attention. There have been no shortage of skeptics. Today, though, you do remain solvent. You've met redemptions. You're reducing commercial paper holdings. Let's start broad, though. What exactly tethers your token to the US dollar?
13: So, um, our token, USDT, was the first stablecoin invented in 2014. So, Tether is the company uh, behind the biggest stablecoin in the market, USDT. It created it in 2014. It is um, the biggest stablecoin by market cap, but also um, is the biggest stable coin by daily volume. So uh, while uh, we, are, uh, we have reduced our market cap in the past weeks, the, um, we still lead by far in terms of, uh, of daily volume with volumes that average from 60 billion per day to 120 billion per day.
3: Uh, Paula, with all due respect, that was not my question. What tethers okay. your token to the US dollar?
13: Oh, all right, sorry. Um, you know, Italian. Um, um, basically, uh, the most important characteristic of a, um, of a stablecoin is its reserves. So, um, in case of Tether, we have a strongly liquid portfolio of reserves that are that are including U.S. Treasury bills. As uh, you mentioned, we have reduced dramatically the uh, widely spoken uh, commercial papers from around thirty billion was uh, mid last year, around the time we spoke. To uh, 8.4 billion at the end of uh, June uh, 2022, and will be around 3.4 billion, 3.5 billion mm-hmm. by the end of July this year. So the most important thing when you are running stablecoin and you want it to be tethered to the to the underlying national currency, mm-hmm. that in this case is the, the dollar, is the um, is having instruments in your portfolio that track um, the uh, the underlying currency, and right. of course you have. To have the right type of reserves. As we have seen with, um, with U.S. Treasuries, we were able to fulfill around uh, $7 billion in redemptions in 48 hours, $10 billion in, in one week, and around uh, $20 billion in uh, one month.
3: Paulo, thank you for that clarification, because um, I think what you explained there is that tether is not literally pegged to the dollar. As the name and marketing suggest, it's pegged to your portfolio of assets, and that worth is determined by what the market believes, which isn't always stable and isn't always a dollar. It went as low as 96 cents earlier this year. Um, so that may not be obvious to everyone. Thank you. Let's move on to those reserves. As you said, you're reducing the amount of commercial paper. You ultimately want to get that to zero. Have you ever used commercial paper holdings as collateral? No. You've never used to, have you ever used treasuries as collateral? Not at all. And do you have an outside management firm that manages treasury bills and commercial paper and your reserves?
13: Sorry, can you repeat that question again?
3: Does an outside firm manage your holdings of reserves, of commercial paper, treasury bills, etc.?
13: No, we have um, um, a really good team uh, internally uh, of risk management uh, and uh, uh, asset manager uh, that have um, years of experience in managing these type of portfolios. Um, as we have uh, demonstrated multiple times, um, their year professionality was able to make tatter, resist okay. to, to a black swan event. Yeah.
3: So it's all internal. And to be clear, they do not use leverage. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. um, Last year when we spoke, Paulo, uh, you and Stuart, the legal counselor, told me that you guys would be expecting an audit within months. It's now been almost a year. Have you engaged an auditor?
13: Yes. So the auditing process has started, and we are also looking to other potential auditors while we complete or we keep going through the auditing process. So uh, we have been asked many times why our we are not getting audited by a top for, uh, four firm. Uh, we have been engaging with few of them, and the reality of things is that we are turning to a top twelve firm because they are um, they are kind of afraid of the cryptocurrency market, um, and they are waiting on the sidelines to see what regulations will say that Sorry, stablecoin who, should. Sorry, who's
3: do. The, who's afraid of the crypto market? The big four? Yes. Have you engaged with them?
13: We had discussions um, in uh, different jurisdictions with the big four, yeah.
3: And they told you that they did not, they were not prepared to audit Tether because they were afraid of the crypto market?
13: In general, the risk management, uh, um, their internal risk management was kind of afraid of that, yes.
3: Okay, can you name one of the big 12 auditors? It's not a term that I've heard of, but can you name the auditor that you've engaged with?
13: I will not, uh, because uh, all the time that we, uh, one of the names before, when we start to work with a company, um, we get uh, you know, journalists and everyone that is calling them 100 times per day to get information. So we will go through our audit. Uh, we believe that um, we have all the um, everything in place to complete a successful audit and then it will be released and will be public.
3: Okay, I'm not really sure I understand that reasoning of why you wouldn't name the auditor, but in any case, let's move on. What is the timeline now? Um, what is the expectation when you will actually receive that audit?
13: So um, we are still moving as fast as we can. So I cannot give you exact times. Is it um, months or of, years? Um, I don't know. It is something that we are working and taking care of as our top priority. We understand that the industry wants that. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the other stable coins are struggling as well. From what I understand, maybe you have more deeper information on that side, but it's something that, uh, we do really care about.
3: Okay. Paulo, um, last question for you this morning, Tether disclosed more details on the liquidation of its Celsius loan. How much did you guys liquidate? And when did that process begin?
13: So the process, um, I don't recall the exact time in date, but, uh, the market was in really turmoil. Um, so it is in the last weeks, right? When the market was uh, was going down badly. So I don't recall the exact date, but I think that we can point pinpoint in, in the moment when the, uh, the market moved from twenty six k to you know uh, downwards and was all about in a matter of uh, you know three two three days. So um, the the process was um, uh, quite smooth. In fact, the entire liquidation of the portfolio of of, um, of the portfolio of assets. Um, namely, uh, Bitcoin was done uh, within um, within uh, the uh, within few hours, and uh, it resulted in uh, um, some positive equity that was returned to Celsius. So, um, I think speaks really highly about our risk management process.
3: Yeah. and Paulo, how much was that? Can you tell us that? How much did you liquidate?
13: Um, was around nine hundred million dollars, but I would need to check the exact number. If you you know. Ballpark on $900 million. Okay,
3: Paulo, thank you so much for coming back to talk to us. Hope to talk to you again soon, and we look forward to that audit. Paulo.
13: Thank you, dear there. Have a good day.
2: Still to come this morning. Evercore dumping one of those dating stocks for the other this morning. We'll find out why as we are still holding on to a five day win streak, fixed below
6: 25. Let's get a gut check on a couple of dating stocks. Evercore dumping Bumble from the top picks list instead. Sliding into Match Group's DMs, naming it a top large cap pick, a better defensive play than Bumble with greater valuation upside, outperform on Match but lowering the target from 95 to 90, adjusting estimates for both stocks in response to the current macro environment. More Tech Check after this.
2: Our Julia Borston has been busy in Sun Valley. Liberty Media's Maffei sitting down with her at Sun Valley Conference this morning, talking M and A, the consumer, and a whole lot more. In addition to that interview with Goodell, hey Julia.
1: Hey Carl, that's right. Greg Maffei, CEO of Liberty Media. Now its three largest assets are Formula One, the Braves, and also Sirius XM. And Maffei is chairman of Sirius XM, along with TripAdvisor, QVC, Parent Curate and Live Nation, so he has a broad view into the economy. Now he tells us he sees no signs of a lack of consumer demand, but he does expect a slowdown, though he says it's still unclear if we'll see a full-blown recession. Now on the heels of some media mergers in the last few years, I asked him when he expects another round of deals.
11: Clearly private equity is loaded with a lot of money and they're out there ready to move. Uh, usually it takes a while for uh, sellers or potential sellers to recognize the new environment. Uh, potential buyers are much more quick to say, see, things are down. So I think this will take a while to work through. And there are also, on the corporate side, there are some factors where the regulatory environment is more difficult, clearly, uh, in, around tech, even around media. Um, the, the administration probably is a more of a, a break on M&A activity than some prior administrations have been. So uh, I think it'll take a while before you see some big explosion of M&A.
1: One asset that's seen massive growth is Formula One. It is closing a three-year deal reportedly for up to $90 million a year with ESPN. That's after last year's Formula One was the most watched year on record with viewership up 54% from 2020.
11: It definitely feels like we're on the, uh, you know, have a tailwind, uh, if not on a rocket ship. So many factors, you know, uh, Netflix, Drive to Survive has clearly been a boost, but opening up social media, you um, having more races here in the United States. Uh, we had Miami in the spring, or we've announced Las Vegas for next fall, uh, uh, as well as the strength of Austin. Uh, you know, the fact we've had great racing on the track, the fact that the ecosystem is healthier, really, the business is hitting on all cylinders.
1: We also heard a lot about the demand for live sports from NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, as well as Live Nation CEO Michael Rapino. You can find more from all of my interviews here in Sun Valley on CNBC.com, including those other two as well. Guys?
2: Uh, Julie, I wonder what you found more interesting, uh, Goodell's open-mindedness towards streaming or his uh, comments more about the ad market right now?
1: Well, look, I think there's there's this mixed view on what's going on in the economy. On one hand, you have technology continuing to unlock all these opportunities, such as that streaming opportunity for Goodell and NFL. And remember, as the NFL looks to expand more globally, the fact that you have the likes of Apple uh, and even Amazon and YouTube, which are other potential bidders for some of those rights, those are truly global players. And on the other hand, they're seeing some cautiousness around the ad market, but when when it comes to advertising, live sports in particular are expected to be the thing that is most resilient because there's just so much demand for those audiences that have to watch in real time.
6: Yeah. Julia, thanks. Great stuff from out there. Quick programming note as we head to break. Don't miss CNBC's Evolve Global Summit this Wednesday, where we will talk about the future of work, tech and more with CEOs from across industries. You can register now at CNBCEvents.com Evolve. We're back in two.
3: One more thing before we go, Snap taking their emphasis on secrecy to a new level today, hiring Secret Service Director James Murray as the social media giant's chief security officer. Murray, who served for 27 years and spent the last three in the top job, will report directly to co-founder and CEO Evan Spiegel. Snap shares, they're down almost 70% year to date. Guys, I thought this was a little curious. At first, you might expect someone with Murray's stature to go to a Google or an Apple, but then I remembered that Snap is based in Santa Monica. Why come to the Bay Area when you could go to Santa Monica,
6: John? (laughs) Plenty of upside on so many stocks these days, Carl. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It's good to see, I I guess, uh, folks who have served a long time in government uh, in some pretty challenging roles having a place to land.
2: Yeah. And you guys, just putting the week in some perspective, uh, we came into out of the long holiday weekend sort of wringing our hands about what Micron had told us a couple of days prior. Micron's going to be one of your biggest week to date gainers on the NASDAQ, along with some names like uh, Tesla, Moderna, Lucid's actually the number one gainer. And we're working our way into next week where it's going to be again about inflation. We'll get CPI, of course, on Wednesday, retail sales on Friday, and then. A week from yesterday, uh, the earnings will truly begin with J.P. Morgan, uh, Citigroup, Wells, uh, PNC, uh, and the rest. So get some rest over the weekend. There's a
1: lot to be done. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.